what's motivating people to get these improvements is not saving money on their energy bills or saving the planet. It's really about having a better quality of life at home. Because these improvements do help families be more comfortable in their home, use every room year round, and just have a cleaner, safer environment. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of The Wharton Current. I am Ned Downey, PhD student in public affairs at the Princeton School of Public International Affairs. And today, Ben Noel and I are chatting with a founder in an area of clean tech that's maybe not as splashy as headline grabbers like fusion or hydrogen, but it's just as, if not more, important. That area is energy efficiency. Our guest is Lauren Sauls. She's co-founder and CEO of Sealed a company that helps consumers finance home improvements around energy usage. So that's things like insulation, HVAC upgrades, weatherproofing, and heat pumps. Now, a little background here. Residential energy efficiency, those kind of home improvements, they're really important for getting to net zero. If I can give a little plug for some Princeton research, the Net Zero America study, which models how the US can get to net zero by 2050 in carbon emissions, it calls for the US to cut its final energy use in the residential sector almost in half over the next 30 years. So that's gonna take a lot of energy efficiency. Now, the good thing is that a lot of the technologies we need to adopt for that are pretty mature, but the question is, how do you get consumers to actually adopt them? Well. That's sealed specialty, and that's why we brought Lauren on. Listen to learn why homeowners actually invest in energy efficiency and how Lauren and her team have built their business to fit those motivations. We'll also learn about Lauren's journey to being a founder, which includes a stint as a surprisingly well-paid street musician. So let's jump right in. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Wharton Current. This is Ned Downey, a PhD student at Princeton in Public Affairs. And I'm Ben Knoll, first-year MBA student at Wharton. And today on The Current, we're joined by Lauren Sauls, co-founder and CEO of Sealed. Sealed is a climate tech company on a mission to stop home energy waste and electrify all homes. Sealed designs, manages, and finances home weatherization and electrification projects, making it easier for people to cut their home energy use and environmental footprint. Lauren co-founded the company in 2013 with Andy Frank after spending time at McKinsey and rose to the position of CEO in 2018. The year she also was named Forbes 30 Under 30 Energy. Great to have you here today, Lauren. Thanks for having me here today. So we gave you a brief introduction, but let's hear it from you. What brought you to founding Sealed? How did you get here? So I'll tell you the original inspiration behind Sealed, and I'll tell you a little bit about how I got there, because it's not necessarily so intuitive. The reason we founded Sealed is because we noticed that homes make up around 20% of greenhouse gas emissions in the US, which is an extraordinary amount. And what really fascinated us about the market is that there was already really effective hardware to decarbonize homes. There didn't, didn't need to be any technological advantage. And so it was a customer and business model problem. And me and my co-founder thought we were the right people to address that. But that's kind of the broader theme behind Sealed. Now, and I don't know if we'll get to this later in the podcast, it took us a really long time to find product market fit. And so our original thesis about why there was low customer adoption, I won't say it's wrong, but it was only a very small part of the story. So I'll say we've been working on the same problem for almost 10 years, but we've had a different solution for the past four-ish years. Yeah. And a little bit how, how I got here is I started off my career at McKinsey working in their investment office, focused on fixed income strategies there. And I actually really liked it. It's very quantitative. I love numbers, but I just wasn't super passionate about what I was doing. And I thought that there's some kind of way I could have an impact on the world while really enjoying my career. 
And that's when I kind of looked into the energy efficiency space and market. I thought that was the right spot for me to have an impact. Maybe let's get back to this sort of, you know, the product market fit that you found here at the end. Tell us, you know, what are you guys now? What for our listeners is sealed? So we focus on making it easy and affordable for homeowners to get off of fossil fuels. Because the core problem that we discovered is that there's two issues why people aren't adopting these really effective technologies. And by effective technologies, I'm talking about things like air sealing, insulation, and heat pumps is kind of being the bread and butter of decarbonization. Because once you're using all electricity, then you can power your home exclusively through renewables. So what we discovered is that it's too much of a hassle and it's too expensive. So on the hassle side, people know that they have a problem. One kid is too hot at night, the other is too cold. Your system is making noise at night, but people don't even know what the right solution set is, let alone how to find the right set of local installers to implement the work. So most people don't even get to the step where they realize that it's pretty expensive upfront to do. And so what we do is we make it easy first. That's the most important thing. We figure out the best set of solutions for each home. And then we find the best local installers to actually implement the work. And then we're coordinating everything, making it really easy for the homeowner. And we're also making sure everything's installed correctly. But the critical reason why people trust us to help them make those decisions without us ever stepping foot into their home is because we cover the upfront costs and only get payback based on actual energy reductions over time. So our interests are very aligned with our customers, but also policymakers and the environment because we are counting on the performance of these projects for us to hit our financial returns. I see very, very well integrated. And I think that you teased earlier that you got to this vision after a long process. You guys have been thinking about the energy efficiency space for a while. This is the sort of approach that's really taken off, but you've been exploring in this for some time, started with a different thesis. Can you just tell us more about that journey to find that product market fit? Because I think that kind of journey is something that's, I think, really of interest to a lot of our listeners. Yes. So the original thesis was that people didn't believe that the energy savings were real and they didn't trust what contractors were telling them or what utilities were telling them because there wasn't strong alignment of interest there in terms of performance. And that wasn't a wrong thesis. It was just an incomplete picture because again, most people didn't even get to the step where they were thinking about ROI and things like that. And actually you know, we made a traditional mistake that a lot of people in the space have made, which is why I think there's been really low adoption is that we were too focused on the energy savings and lowering people's energy bills. And that's not actually what motivates people to get these improvements, at least not en masse. What's motivating people to get these improvements is not saving money on their energy bills or saving the planet. It's really about having a better quality of life at home. Because these improvements do help families be more comfortable in their home, use every room, year-round and just have a cleaner, safer environment. That's awesome. So looks like on your website, you'll offer two types of plans. You have the comfort plan and then the climate control plan. Can you tell us a little bit more about these offerings and what differentiates between these two? Absolutely. So the comfort plan, and that's the original plan that we went on to market with, is focused on comfort. So primarily insulation and air sealing. And then the climate control plan includes a heat pump. So electrifying the home, getting people off of oil and gas. Now, I will say that we don't typically recommend people get a heat pump unless they already have insulation or they're planning to get insulation as part of the project. 
because a lot of people think they have an HVAC issue when really they need insulation. So we kind of insist that the two get paired together. And so we see many of our customers get both comfort and climate plans together. But then there's a certain segment of customers who've already had their homes insulated recently. So then they'll get the climate package by itself. Got it. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense then. I think one of the things that stands out to me about these two packages is that traditionally we might've thought that these were two different markets, consumers who are willing to pay like a green premium or those who aren't. Now, I think what you've described is really, there's a lot of other factors that are driving how people do energy efficiency adoption, but it's also the case that, you know, that green premium gap is shrinking, right? We got more money for heat pumps, more money for a lot of these technologies, inflation reduction act, lowering costs, um, other things. So in what ways do you guys find that the comfort plan market and the climate control market are two different markets? And in what ways for you guys, are they really kind of overlapping a lot? I think that those customers that we're attracting, it's actually for very similar reasons that they're getting the improvements done. It all has to do with quality of life. And I think that's one of the things that sets Sealed apart from other companies in the space is that we're not focused on people who care about being green. The way we kind of explain it to customers is that they're going to have more comfort at home and they can use every room in their house year round. We're like, oh, and as a side benefit, it happens to be good for the planet, but we're definitely not leading with that messaging because it really leaves behind a lot of people who just don't care very much or might not even believe that climate change is real. And we still want to capture those customers. And even for customers or potential customers who claim that they care a lot about being green, are typically not willing to pay a green premium. And so that's why I think there has to be a value proposition outside of saving the planet because that doesn't really move the needle for a ten dollars to $30,000 home improvement. It might move the needle for buying some kind of consumer good that is going to cost $11 instead of $10. But these are really big home renovations that impact what your day-to-day life is like. And again, I just don't think being green is a big enough motivation. Interesting. So what education is needed for those customers? I mean, you mentioned like the motivation is really that they want a better quality of life. How do you go about that process? So we start with what the customer's problems are. And typically the things that we hear about is that their bathroom is freezing during the winter time, or a lot of people's primary bedrooms is above the garage and it gets really cold during the winter time, or a certain room is too hot. And those are the customer concerns that they have. And increasingly, people are getting nervous about having gas combustion in their homes as well. People think about health and safety from from that perspective. So we're listening to the customers first, and then we provide solutions that address those customer concerns. That's typically our approach. And then we have to educate them on how these specific technologies are going to help solve those problems and why. And I think a lot of people don't know what heat pumps are especially in the Northeast, where people who have heard of them are familiar with the heat pumps of 20, 30 years ago, where they didn't work very well during the wintertime. So we definitely have education as a really big part of our customer journey. We have a lot of resources on our website because a lot of times once people know about these technologies or have spoken to someone who has gotten a heat pump, then they realize what a valuable improvement it will be to their home. So you talked a bit about, you know, bringing the customers to the platform, onboarding them, educating them. How do you think about getting the installers and the supply side of the market bought into to what y'all are doing? Well, I'll say the installers are really important to what we do. We care a lot about 
the quality of the work because we're counting on these improvements to perform for us to make any money. And for the installers, the value proposition is that Sealed is doing all the customer acquisition and the contractor can just focus on what they do best, which is install. And so it's a really strong value prop where they can be much more focused. And, you know, we go out with that pitch to installers and it seems to work pretty well. What's the business model that you guys use? Is it like a retainer style model where a contractor is in some sort of specific exclusive relationship with you all? Or are these ones where people, you know, contractors can use your platform, but they can also look for business on the side? How do you guys structure that? Oh, you know, contractors are free to continue getting their own customers. I think that's good and very healthy for their businesses. We want to help the contractors grow their business. We don't want to say you can only work with us, not acquire your own customers. Because most contractors are not doing paid customer acquisition the way that we're doing. They get a lot of people from referral, word of mouth. That's their typical customer acquisition. They probably don't have in-house customer acquisition specialists and marketers and stuff like that. So we just want to be good partners to them and give them the confidence to grow their business alongside ours. That makes sense. And could you guys ever see moving into that contractor space yourself, like working to develop some in-house capabilities yourself on that front? We're very happy with our model of working with local installers. You know, typically they know the housing stock the best in their areas. They know what equipment works on certain types of homes. They really have a lot of on the ground knowledge. And we do like creating local jobs in the areas that they're impacting. So I think we'll continue our our current model. So right now, y'all are serving a subset of states, mostly in the Northeast. How did you kind of come about this? I mean, I know y'all are based in New York, but what are your plans for scaling from here? So we started out in New York kind of by accident. Both Andy, that's my co-founder, and I lived in New York. So it was convenient and we went for it. Also, our initial go-to-market strategy was co-marketing through utilities, and we won utility partnerships in New York State first. So there wasn't you know, too much thinking about it. It was just kind of coincidence that we happened to go to New York, and then it turned out to be a really great market for us. So some of the things that we're thinking about new market expansion, and over the past 20 months, we've gone from one state to six states. So definitely expanding pretty rapidly and a lot more to come this year on on that front. We want to go to states where customers need us. And where customers need us are typically places that have at least one season that's more extreme. So either a hot summer, a cold winter, or both. Because again, we're not focused on customer value props based on the planet or energy savings. It's really around improving their quality of life. So it's like, where are people having quality of life problems based based on the weather and and the housing stock. Then we also, you know, want to make sure that we can build a really high quality installer base, those states as well. So we do a lot of research on that before we enter a market. But the reality is, is most markets in the US are good markets for us. And I think that's actually changed over the past few years. You know, typically I wouldn't have thought about parts of California or Pacific Northwest being great markets for us, but actually the dynamic we're seeing now is a lot of people are running to get air conditioning for the first time because the summer has become very hot. And when someone's getting some new HVAC, it's actually a really good time for them to get a heat pump. And it's, you know, time sensitive. Once someone gets a new system, they're not going to get a new one again for probably at least another 10 years. So 
we're very eager to continue our expansion and make sure when people are making HVAC decisions, they're doing something that's good for the planet. That's fascinating. It's not like in a way you guys are also sort of, there's an adaptation side to what you guys are doing in terms of making, addressing, changing, heating, and cool, well, particularly cooling needs more affordable for consumers. Yes. And I definitely think about what we're doing as adaptation as well, because the thing is humans will need to adapt to the changing climate. And a lot of that's going to be through getting air conditioning. And what a tragedy would be that through the adaptation strategies, people were forced to take to maintain their quality of life. It increase the rate of climate change. And so that's what we're trying to mitigate here. So it could become a very vicious circle as humans are adapting, which is the only natural thing to do when the climate is changing. No kidding. Yeah. It's good to have somebody else in the space. We just had a prior guest who did adaptation as a flood insurance. And so I think it's something that we're trying to cover a little bit more in the climate tech world, or at least in our corner of it, because the business opportunities there are also, you know, not to be ignored, even as mitigation gets a lot of the buzz. Yeah. Um, and and I think we need to focus on both. Right now, most of the dollars are being deployed against mitigation. But even in the rosiest case scenarios where we hit all of our targets by 2030 and 2015, the environment's still going to look really different. And I do think there's been an underinvestment in adaptation. But hopefully that's going to shift over the next 5, 10 years because what's happening is still going to happen. So obviously the RA was passed earlier or back in 2022. How does Sealed benefit from the law? What's in it for y'all? How's it kind of changing the way y'all are thinking about y'all's business? So the IRA is really landmark legislation, the biggest climate bill in history. And I think it is very smart legislation as well in terms of how a lot of the capital is deployed. So there's a lot of money for residential energy efficiency and electrification, which is the space that we're in. And I think the way it's done is really smart for a couple of reasons. One is there's a big focus on low and middle income homeowners who traditionally have gotten left behind. And a heat pump, for example, is really a premium product, the high upfront cost. And if you want low middle income homeowners to adopt it, you really do need to provide a pretty big incentive to make it make financial sense for them. And the other thing that I'm pretty excited about is that there's part of the IRA that's a performance-based incentive program where basically companies like Sealed will get paid based on the actual performance of the projects that they install. So again, it really aligns companies' incentives with the policy objectives because a lot of times when the incentives are just based on you know, projected energy savings are based on a percentage of project costs. The incentives are not necessarily aligned with policy because either you're incentivized to project really high energy savings that might not end up getting realized, or you're incentivized to have higher prices because you get a percentage based on project cost. So I think in particular, the money that's geared towards energy efficiency and electrification of homes is done in a really smart way. That's fascinating. Yeah, I feel like this portion that I've heard the most about is this like heat pump tax credits and things like that. So to hear some of the more nitty gritty about the IRA and that policy design is pretty enlightening. And just another way in which, you know, it feels like it's a bill that's just full of these Easter eggs that the more you look into it, the more you find, oh, there's this here and oh, there's that here. And it's really pretty dizzying. Exactly. And I said, oh, I'll say what's available to homeowners right now are the tax credits. Those got rolled out January 1st. I think it's up to $2,000 for a home that's getting a heat pump. The larger incentives, especially ones geared towards low and middle income homeowners, are going to be rolled out state by state beginning sometime the end of this year, early 2024. 
And those some of those incentives for low middle income are up to $14,000. So you can imagine how much those dwarf the tax credits and how important the rollout of these larger incentives is going to be. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. It's a good time to be in the business. Oh, I feel like in the current sometimes we like to, you know, go into the nitty-gritty of the business model, but also want to talk a little bit more about the personal journey that it takes you. A lot of our listeners are in the MBA community. A lot of people are interested in consulting. You went into McKinsey, then you moved into the startup world. You talked about how you felt like you found more passion in making that transition, but tell us more about how that transition worked for you and what you'd say for other people who are kind of going into the consulting area, but, you know, maybe have their eyes set longer term on, you know, being interested in making that startup transition. So I'll say it's never time wasted to go to a big company with a great reputation, with really smart colleagues and learn a lot from those people and learn from excellent people. That's never time wasted. I've been working since I was 13 years old in various jobs, you know, whether it was doing administrative work, babysitting, being a dance teacher. I was a street musician for summer. That was actually extremely lucrative. You know, I worked at a think tank. I've just had a variety of experiences and every experience I had basically made me think that this isn't what I wanted to do for a living. And it was the same thing when I was at McKinsey, even though I was surrounded by really excellent people who I learned a lot from. And as soon as I met Andy and we were working together on CL, I knew right away that this is what I was meant to be doing. And I think a big part of that is being in control of my own destiny and the company's destiny. And really everything I did had such a big impact on the companies. There's like nothing wrong with other things I was doing before. I think I was just looking for more authority, control, and impact. Um, So I would never tell an MBA student who had the opportunity to work at McKinsey or another firm or another company where they could learn a lot at. It's just, I'll say, it can be very easy to get chained by the golden handcuffs. The longer you stay at some of these roles, the harder it is to make a lifestyle change to going to be an early stage founder, which can be really, really tough from a financial perspective. So that's like the only word of caution I would say about taking some of these jobs. Now, could be a great way to go off and pay back your MBA debt for a few years. It actually could be a really smart decision, right? Because I think being a founder, when you have a lot of debt hanging over your head, could be a really scary situation. But you know, if you hang out there for 10 years, it's going to be really hard to leave and go and do the whole startup thing. Let alone go and do a street musician thing. But I suppose you got that done before you went into. I did. did. But you know, if I needed money, you know, on the side, again, like I made a ton of money. A fallback. Yeah, a a, a little fallback. If if things at Steel fall fall apart, I need like a quick buck. I'll be like, all right, go and take my flute and put my hat out. It was a flute that you did. Yeah, flute. And 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 it was reasonably lucrative. You said. Oh yeah, I made a, and this is like back in the day. Made around thirty dollars an hour. Wow! Yeah, that's really well. That's formidable. I'm very impressed. Yeah, it was like over ten years ago. I, it applies more lucrative yeah. today. Where Where were you? I'm sorry, I'm so fixated on this, but it <laughs> yeah, never occurred to me you could get thirty dollars an hour. I did this when I was living in England. In England, wow. yeah. But I, I know people who do it in New York, and they make a ton of money it's too. A higher appreciation. More people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like I suppose. The traffic here. Yeah. Yeah. So you were like on the man. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to keep asking you questions about being a street musician. <laughs> I never did it during the winter time. Right. So yeah. it, it could be more of a seasonal job. Although here you can do it, do it in the subway. It doesn't get too cold. Yeah. 
That's true. Yeah. And I mean, New York's got some solid subway performers. So yeah, yeah I don't know. No, I'll never look at them the same when I hear that, that kind of rate. Where can people go to, to learn more about sealed? People can go to our website, sealed.com. And that's our show for today. Thanks again to Lauren for joining us. If you like this conversation, do spread the good word online. You can find and tag us at the Wharton current on Instagram and at Wharton current on Twitter. And we'll return in a few weeks with a new episode, this time back on the cutting edge of clean tech, thermal energy storage. So stay tuned.